Welcome to God Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Dr. Jeff Corntassel. Jeff is a professor at the University of Victoria. He teaches Indigenous Studies. You're going to love this conversation, so please enjoy. Check me out on Instagram, at Noor Kidwai. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. Guys, let's get into this week's episode. My guest this week, Dr. Jeff Corntassel. All right, welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Jeff, Cor- uh, Dr. Jeff Corntassel uh, from the University of Victoria. Thank you for joining me, Jeff. Wado, Noor. And um, incidentally, my mom says I'm the kind of doctor that doesn't help people. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not that kind of doctor, the medical doctor. Uh, but yeah, I'll introduce myself real quick and then uh, we'll get started. So, Osio Nigata, Osio Noor, Jeff Ganoholito, Corntassel, Dagwadoa, Shalikie, Yetli, Gwena Sai, Echora Galski Goi. So, my name is Jeff Corntassel. I'm from Cherokee Nation. And uh, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit. But my family comes from what's known as Toko, Tennessee, and uh, Lookout Point, Georgia, originally. And then our family was forcibly removed uh, in 1838 to uh, what became Westville, Oklahoma. And so, uh, and then in the 1930s, we kind of had another wave of removal uh, where people left the uh, community to find jobs. And so my family ended up on the West Coast eventually. So I was actually born in Long Beach, California. And uh, my family's call it kind of all up and down the coast. So uh, but yeah, my name is Jeff Corntassel. I'm from, I'm, uh, my Cherokee name is Ganoholito, which means hunter. And, um, yeah, I guess I, I should fess up and say that I'm, I'm a associate professor in indigenous studies at UVic and <laughs> also <laughs> acting director of the center for indigenous research and community led engagement. Uh, but, um, I'm here to talk to you as just a, a fellow Cherokee, a plain Cherokee. Yeah. yeah, and I, I do appreciate you coming to talk to me. And um, yeah, like how you said, you said 1838. That's when your uh, like the, your family was pretty much uh, pushed out of uh, where they were living, right? Yeah. 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 Like I remember hearing you're like in another uh, another podcast, and you were talking about this. But like, like how does that like change a culture? Just like pushing a bunch of people out because some people think you can just push people out and. Uh, you, they go someplace else and they can just pick up. It just, it, it doesn't work like that. You just completely change the culture forever. Don't you? You have, you have like our relationships to the land and to the water and to the, the animals there are so tight. So um, integral to who we are that to move people is, it was always, you know, thought that the, the color uh, for the direction West is black and it usually means kind of destruction. It usually means thunder and lightning. Uh, and so for our people moving west was, you know, they thought of it as certain death. And we lost, 
about, um, by all accounts, about a third of our nation uh, were lost due to cholera and all sorts of disease. And, and from that long journey, uh, lack, of, uh, lack of food, so malnutrition, uh, but it's, it's devastating and it leaves a scar on your nation uh, that's, that's hard to, I guess, heal from. Um, what we do that I think is kind of cool to commemorate that is we commemorate it kind of from a strength-based uh, perspective. So we have a remember the removal bike ride. And so we have Cherokees that train all year and they bike that 900 miles. Uh, and so they go from, they, they track the trail, uh, the trail of tears as it was called uh, for 900 miles. And then there's elders along the way that kind of remind them of some of the history of that place. So it's kind of a cool yeah, kind of cool. living memorial, mm-hmm. but yeah, we, we haven't recovered in the sense that we're, um, you know, a lot of us don't live in Oklahoma even. And so, you know, almost, uh, almost half of us live outside of that, of that, uh, territory in Oklahoma. And I think what helped is that some of the terrain and stuff in Oklahoma looked a little bit like the, the Smoky Mountains and looks like some of the terrain in um, North Carolina and Georgia. But it was, yeah, it was devastating. It's hard to even put it into words how devastating it was. No, I, I, I wouldn't yeah. know that. Um, can I ask you uh, that you said like uh, you're in Cherokee, they were saying looking west uh, meant certain death. Uh, where did that uh, come from? Uh, we kind of have um, different associations with different directions. And so uh, for us, a lot of it is uh, oriented towards the east. And so, in fact, all of our, our kind of ceremonial grounds and things like that are oriented towards, this, towards the east. That's kind of where the sun first greets us. That's mm-hmm. where, uh, that's where we, we put our tobacco. And that's kind of our, um, our I guess, direction of of um how would you say it it's the direction that that inspires us the direction that that really enlivens us yeah okay no that's uh that's really cool and uh like you were saying um because i want to talk a little bit about like cherokee uh, spirituality a little bit and like um like you were saying when you move a culture like that that especially one that's so connected to the land like I'm going to guess that so much of it just came from like the actual land you were on because like moving to another land that just changes everything. Does it not? It does. Yeah. It's kind of, um, I mean, to make it worse and, you know, we're moving on to Osage land. So we're moving on to another indigenous people's land. Mm-hmm. We're moving on to Osage and Caddo land uh, in Oklahoma. And so we're, we're almost propagate, you know, like it's, it makes it even worse in a sense uh, because it's, not, it's a further reminder that it's not our original territory. And yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, what, what happened, we actually carried the, you know, the ash from the ceremony uh, from a lot of our ceremonies with us. Right. And we carried a lot of those ceremonies over that 900 miles. And I, I don't want to, you know, make it sound like we're the only nation that did this. Like there are 50 different nations that were removed from their territory during that time, during the 1830s. So uh, we were one of many, but, um, but it was, yeah, it was, it's devastating. It's hard to um, like the, the legacy of our family is often to um, it's to commemorate this, but also to, uh, to kind of, you know, as Cherokee say, we, we survive, we adapt 
we prosper and we excel. And so we kind of go through those four things each time. Mm-hmm. And so some of us are still in survival mode, you know, from, yeah. <laughs> from that event. Yeah. Um, of course. Yeah. And, and finding ways to, uh, to kind of come through it on in a real positive way in a real strong way uh, mm-hmm. has been kind of my life's challenge as well. Yeah. And is that kind of why you went into like uh, your, your direction? Cause um, like, that's like you you teach indigenous law as well. Right. So like, this is trying to come back to like uh, what you guys, like what, like the values that were based in the, in your laws um, back then. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of a way to, I, I kind of wanted to study um, what power was from a, from a political science perspective. Okay. And so I thought, okay, I want to understand how these colonizers tick, how they, <laughs> how they think <laughs> how they tick I'll, i like that <laughs> <laughs> i want to see you know what they're thinking is uh around power around politics around governance mm. and so that really is why, why i gravitated towards this field and then to uh in a sense uh understand it to find vulnerabilities to to challenge it uh and also to really emphasize like you said uh cherokee law so you know, when, when people say land back, you know, it's really about that re- reinvigoration of indigenous laws on indigenous land mm-hmm. and, and really, it, you know, it's a reclamation of sorts, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about indigenous laws. Uh, maybe if you want to do it through a Cherokee perspective, uh, whatever you think, uh, feels proper. Um, but like, yeah, can we can we go into some of like the values that are like kind of intertwined into in, indigenous law? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think um, I think it starts for us with this notion that it's uh, gadugi, uh, which is a Cherokee word for it means uh, no one suffers alone. No one in life is going to uh, be challenged on their own. It's a community camaraderie. So we start with that as kind of the core of, of if you will, Cherokee law. And, and then we kind of move out from there. And a, a lot of our laws were uh, gifted to us um, through netlana, uh, which is uh, our word for the creator or the portioner. Mm-hmm. And these laws uh, were to, in a sense, uh, set up clans. So we have seven clans. And these clans really set up our kind of governing system. And so some of the, some of the laws around that were you couldn't marry into your own clan. So you always had to marry outside of your clan. Okay. Um, and that's clan is like a family kind of, yeah, a clan, kind of thing. Well, it's kind of like a, uh, think of it as based on relationships. And so we had the, to give you an example, the largest was the wolf clan. And so that's where a lot of my family would have been a part of the wolf clan. Uh, we had the bird clan, uh, long hair clan. We get made fun of. We have a blue clan. <laughs> uh, my friend says it's the avatar clan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the wild potato clan, which is uh, <laughs> which also I've made fun of. But it's, uh, <laughs> that, that sounds I, like my clan. I'll be like, oh, I want to be yeah. in the wolf clan. Come on. <laughs> I want to be wild potato, man. No one wants to be what no one wants to claim wild potato. Um, but wild potato would be our farmers. Right. Yeah, and so. Fair. these clans really tell us what our role is and our responsibilities are Uh, for wolf clan. They're the teachers. They're the ones who are keeping the ceremonies going. Um, 
you know, paint clan, a lot of our medicine people came out of that, uh, out of that clan. And so you have these different clans and they're carried on through the women. And so it's, we're a matrifocal society traditionally. So it would be through your mother's side that you, your clan affiliation would come to you. Um, And so um, that's, that was a key part of our governance is really the clan mothers could overturn any decision uh, if they banded together, any decision that was made by the chief. And wow. so they had, they carried a lot of weight in terms of the governance of our, of our communities. Man, that's, uh, that is really cool. And I, I love that uh, you're part of the wolf clan, which is teaching and stuff. And like, do you ever think that like, that has a part to like play and you becoming like a professor? I think so. I think, it, <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know, usually people will ask you and it's hard to, you know, the clans have, have, have been kind of, um, how would you say, have been challenged because a lot of people don't get their clan lineage anymore from their mom, mm-hmm. uh, on their mom's side. If you, if you marry outside of the Cherokee Nation, for example, um, you would have lost that clan affiliation. Uh, so a lot, of it's, uh, a lot of it's been challenged, I'd say. It's not lost, but it's been challenged. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I think it, it ties a lot into um, my, my sense of role and responsibility. And uh, that's actually one thing I do love because um, I I think we're kind of missing that completely from our society is um, two things that you mentioned that are like pretty much essential to indigenous laws. Community is one. And then role is another one where, um, which like, I don't know, like role is an interesting one too, because like, I think when it comes to role, like one good thing I sometimes think about our society is like, we can kind of choose our role. We have so much freedom to do that. But another thing is like, once you're so lost in that and you don't have a role and you feel like you don't belong yeah, Like I, I think that can contribute to so much, especially in like maybe mental health issues or just, uh, just feeling lonely and isolated. Um, like, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think, I think uh, feeling that you have a sense of, of responsibility, a sense of, kind of uh, connection is so important, especially in this COVID era, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, you could think of maybe we have new clans like the TikTok clan or something, (laughs) uh, (laughs) the Twitter clan. But but I think uh, we're on the podcast clan right now. There you go. (laughs) Uh, But I I think the, um, I really do think that that's so important for mental health is to, and at Cherokees, we have the saying, or there's a saying that, that I've heard someone uh, say a few times is, learn to live in a longer now, learn your history and your culture and understand that that's part of who you are now. So having a, a longer sense of time, you know, uh, you know, before Canada, what were you? What were your, what was your family? You know, um, you know, because you exist before Canada. And it, and it gives you yeah. so much more meaning like in your life as well. Um, yeah. I, and like, it's true. Like I think our society for the most part has a very like narrow sense of now, like uh, it's almost kind of some, sometimes it's only like a <laughs> couple decades. Like, Oh, this is it <laughs> since the internet. I don't know before the internet. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Before the internet, what happened? You know, I'm, I'm like an ancient one. I, you know, I, I, I remember when the internet was, uh, you know, first developed, I was encouraging people to use the internet <laughs> back in the nineties. And, uh, who knew, you know, that would be such a, such a major part of our lives now. 
Yeah, so. but like I do love that idea. Like we should like be looking at uh, kind of like where we're from and like having that bigger sense of now because it it honestly it gives you so much like meaning in your life just in the present and it allows you to um it allows you to develop like certain spiritual faculties like maybe gratefulness or like stuff like that that could really like just help you live like a lot healthier life and maybe even um find your role in life a lot easier absolutely yeah i think if your your ancestors are part of your legacy right Mm -hmm. part of your who you are so any way that you can find a connection to them you know whether it's even if you know Obviously, if they're, they've passed on, talk to people, you know, there's usually people that have a little bit of knowledge around who your ancestors are and, and, uh, and what their connection is, but mm-hmm. absolutely any way that we can make those connections. We have so much information at our disposal and yet we have such an immature kind of approach to it, right? It's just information for information's sake, but there's so much wisdom that's, that's out there. It's just hard to parse through all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it led uh, the late Vine Deloria Jr. called it an immature society. All right. <laughs> it's because yeah. we call it the information age, but we don't call it the wisdom age. We don't call yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, no, I sound like a rambling old Cherokee right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, that's perfect. Uh, I love that too. It's an information age, but not the wisdom age. And I agree with it. I do see like uh, the wisdom part slowly uh, trickling in and I think because of the whole fact that we do have such like a mental health issue and people are just kind of awakening up to it where like the whole idea of fulfillment in our like society doesn't seem to be happening very well like it doesn't seem people are living very fulfilled lives it doesn't seem people are really that happy I guess you that might be the best way to put it um, yeah. like yeah. I don't know when when like these values though um from indigenous law especially like community and like um uh like finding your kind of like purpose and stuff your clan but that do you kind of see these integrating with uh like our western laws or modern laws like i I don't know like do you see like do you are you optimistic about that like how do you feel about that uh i think i guess i'm not as optimistic I, i i do think that there's um I think everyone can relate to story and I think stories for us, for Cherokees, but for all indigenous peoples, uh, I I shouldn't make that huge generalization. I think for a lot of indigenous peoples, (laughs) story is such an integral part of our loss, right? Stories tell us how to live. They tell us about protocols. So we have a story, for example, on how, um, uh, how medicine came to the people. And it was all about how as Cherokees, we were actually, we're taking too many deer and we weren't respecting them. And so normally we'd put tobacco down for the deer. We'd, we'd pray over the deer and we're responsible for that deer's family after we've killed, you know, one of the deer. And so the deer actually called a council, you know, the animals could, could speak to each other. And so the deer called their own council and they called this huge animal council and they punished us. They said, they're, they're being disrespectful. They're, um, they're disregarding, in a sense, our treaty, uh, where they said they would respect us. And so they punished us with disease. And it was the plant nations that actually came to our rescue and gave us, uh, they held their own council and they gave us medicine so that we can combat these diseases. And that really reflects how tenuous our relationship is to the land. 
And, uh, you know, as a, a friend was reminding me today, like, uh, as Cherokees, we're latecomers as humans, we're latecomers to the, to the earth, to Elohi. Uh, it was the animals and the plants that were here uh, long before we were. And so in that sense, we have to walk carefully. Um, and so it, it's kind of a roundabout way of maybe addressing your question, but I think, I think these stories are so powerful that I do have ultimately have hope that there's, that there's going to be, there's a durability to these stories uh, and ultimately a durability to our laws. They're, they're, they can be dynamic, they can evolve uh, mm. to fit the situation, just like stories. So if I told you this story pre-COVID, it takes on a different meaning than right now during the pandemic, right? About oh, yeah. medicine and disease. Um, and so these stories evolve. And, and I, so in that same sense, I think there can be a... Um, I guess a coexistence of indigenous laws, as long as indigenous laws are respected and honored and, mm-hmm. you know, that's going to look different for, you know, for different nations, but yeah, absolutely. I think there's a possibility. Yeah. And I, I, I love that whole idea of like the kind of like how powerful story is because it like, it is true. Like uh, we need to start putting like uh, more emphasis on the power of story because like, we we're now in the age of like information, like you said, yeah. <laughs> um, but like we're now in the age where anybody can go and share their story. And um, if we kind of like tell people, like, if you really do look at the story you're telling, um, like you can really make some huge uh, change with that. Once those stories start taking off, like, yeah. You know. And, and create new stories. You know, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of, I think, of all of us as, as humans, where we have this capacity to develop new stories, new narratives. Mm-hmm. So let's create a new story around, uh, you know, to challenge that idea of missing and murdering Indigenous women. Let's create a new story that's a story of strength and, and, and power. And hey, I love that, uh, creating a story of like strength and power. Like I, I'm like speaking as an individual, like I've had to done, do that myself is where like I've noticed the stories I tell myself about where I am in my life or who I am. And when I like actually did the, like the work of like questioning those stories and like seeing that they were disempowering, like I created more empowering stories for myself that actually like helped me flourish and stuff. So like, absolutely. Yeah. When, you, when you take that to the next level of like community and society, like um, those stories can be like really powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah I agree. I remember like uh, seeing one of your uh, podcasts, uh, you were talking about, um, ah, I forget uh, who it was, but like uh, you were saying like how, they talk about when you want to create change, it comes from the individual first as like a vision. And then it kind of like oh, reverberates yeah. out into like uh, the rest of the world. And like, I don't know if you remember what you, what you were talking about. Yeah, that was, um, that was a, so the late Benny Smith is a Cherokee elder um, told me it was a Cherokee notion of leadership. And so it starts with the individual as a dream or a vision. And this is a part that I, you know, I really, this is a creative part, right? We have all these visions and dreams uh, and then you have to put it into practice in your everyday life. So if I have a dream about revitalizing Cherokee language, I have to start speaking, learning to speak the language. I have to do all these things. And then you um, have to make it relatable to other people. And this is where 
as academics, we fail miserably. <laughs> we, we have a hard time making these concepts relatable, but you have to make it relatable so that they can understand, okay, I understand what Jeff's trying to do here. And then you mobilize people for change. So it's kind of, you know, like in, I think in a Western model, it's kind of like we start by mobilizing people <laughs> and, and then we'll figure out the, the details later. Um, <laughs> where this really starts from the opposite. It starts from the individual and it moves outward. It's almost like concentric circles. Um, and so you can begin to start a movement, if you will, for, for something positive, but it has to be grounded in your own experience. It has to be grounded in kind of your own vision. Yes. Um, and yeah. like, I, you know, I love that so much because then like, I think this is what this podcast, like one thing I constantly uh, ha- uh, keep harping on is like self empowerment. Like you have to, like, it comes from inside yourself. And like uh, how you said, when you start with that vision, that's inside you, you, you create that value inside yourself that you can constantly come pointing back to because like, in any of these endeavors, like it's going to be hard. There's going to be ups and downs, but like, if it comes from within, like there is something within, you can always kind of set your compass back to, right? For sure. Yeah. It's, it's really, you really, you know, can't go wrong because even if your vision has some things to work out, you know, even if it's not fully developed, uh, you're going to struggle through it and you're going to find ways through it. And that's, that's what I love about that is it's, it's kind of your, your challenge, your personal journey to kind of, if it's a positive, powerful vision, it's going to resonate at some point with other people, even if you're, if you're having a hard time making it relatable. And so, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, uh, I've had those kinds of, you know, those kinds of dreams that you can't shake. And so I even, I even got a tattoo of one of those, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll show you that this is live, oh, it's a, yeah. but it's a, um, it was a 14 point buck uh, or deer that was coming up a mountain, but one of its, one of its racks had fallen off. Oh, and okay. so it just had one side and then the, that, that rack, that last um, antler fell to the ground and shattered in all these pieces. And there was a voice that said, you need to put this back together. And that was it. That was it. <laughs> that was all I got. Wow. And it was like, I spent, that was in the nineties that I had that, that, uh, that dream or that vision. And I still don't know exactly what it means. And so that's why I put it on my arm. So I won't forget. Um, but I, I kind of associated with since it was seven points, I thought, okay, it's probably our seven plants, but I don't know in what way, you know, that that's going to be pieced together I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say, Hey, I'm going to put together, I'm going to fix our clan system. Uh, <laughs> we'd have a bunch of clan mothers saying, Hey, Jeff, why don't you shut up? Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I think it's there. And so it's, that's lingering with me as part of my, I guess, if you will, my life's journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it might be family uh, either way. It's about helping people out and ultimately and bring people together so that's mm-hmm. that's my challenge that's it's my a, challenge to figure amazing. that out yeah, yeah it's amazing how like a vision like that could be so powerful and uh, you, you gotta like uh, you have to take those uh, visions seriously because we sometimes you have a dream that just sticks with you like that and it's like 
just you have to like write it down or you did the best thing to tattoo it exactly. on yourself <laughs> <laughs> i know this that was like uh what was that movie memento <laughs> yeah, I'm, just yeah. Gonna put, I'm gonna put tattoos all over my body <laughs> just trying to figure out life <laughs> that'll be uh go well, here <laughs> hey if your dreams are giving you such good imagery you might as well <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's expensive yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly i love that man that's uh that's really good. Um, I, we are talking a little bit about mental health. So like, um, like, uh, I don't know, like, how, how do you look at like our society, our mental health issues? And then like, also like on, on the reservations, because like, I know uh, it kind of hit me this year, like before the pandemic, I guess last year, um, I was like, I do comedy all over the country. And like, I was down in Thunder Bay and like, um, yeah, like I, I met uh, like a native guy down there and we were talking and then like when he left, like a note fell out of his pocket that I didn't notice, but like I ended up finding it later and it turned out to be like a suicide note and just oh, like, yeah, wow. and it was just like to like kind of read it and try to find somebody who can like help him and like, you know, oh. I was like, you know what I'm saying? But like, it was just yeah. like kind of reading through it and just kind of seeing like, it, it, it made me like completely uh, like turned on to the issue because like it was just something that like hit me so hard and also seeing the pain that like through his words um it, it really showed me like uh not only just like as natives as like a lot of people in our society they, they just feel so lonely they feel like they just made so many mistakes in life they seem like they can't get over like addictions and stuff and like it just like all of those things kind of like uh yeah, like spiraling like um I don't know like well how do you how do you look at these issues and like um maybe even like on the reservations like uh, I don't know like it, it like it seems like it might be uniquely a little bit uh, rougher there it is and it's it's a crisis I think it's a crisis across Turtle Island across you know Canada across the U.S. across you know really globally uh, I think especially with the some of the stay-at-home orders I think it's challenged people in ways that they they didn't fully even understand. Um, and I, I don't have any easy answers for you. I wish I did. But for me, um, so my partner, Jacqueline, and I, and along with, I don't know if you know Mark Robertson. Um, he's, a, he's a former producer of uh, Ratfish Comedy. So we started doing um, uh, uh, laughter's medicine kind of comedy workshops. So this will speak to you. Nice. Um, and so we're doing comedy workshops really as comedy and humor is healing um, and as a way to address um, in some cases trauma uh, and as a way to, to work through it. And so we've done that with some communities, even online, and it's not an end all or fix all. Um, it's, it's one of those things that I, I do think humor has a lot of potential for addressing these things because and then the way I think um, for a lot of communities um, that I've been working with over the years, and I think the, the thing that stands out is getting people out on the land or out on the water actually is the huge, is it has a huge healing effect. And so, and it's not just saying, Hey, go for a walk. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's actually, it's, it's uh, engaging in a practice of let's say hunting engaging in some sort of land-based activity. It could be gardening. It could be any number of things. Um, those kinds of actions I find over time uh, create 
again, like we were talking about earlier, a sense of purpose, a sense of responsibility, but also a connection. And that connection, um, I just did a land-based class uh, this last spring, and it was with Indigenous and non-Indigenous students. And just, they were so grateful to get out on the land, right? And to do some work in community that um, it really helped them through some of the difficulties of the pandemic. So I don't want to present this as a, you know, end all be all, but these are some of the things we, you know, I think we can think about in terms of, and broadly, more broadly in society is, is finding, finding those connections to place and really building on those uh, and protecting those, you know, so uh, right now, you know, Fairy Creek, right. There are people protecting the last of the old growth forests um, and, you know, the, the 2.3%, I guess, of the last of the old growth forests. And so finding those connections and, and protecting them, I think is so vital uh, to who we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I yeah, honestly, I wasn't expecting like uh, end all be all uh, kind of answer. <laughs> I, 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 I know, know uh, how tough these um I know how tough these uh, like issues are. It's uh, actually one of the reasons I love this podcast because I really do feel we get hit at, hit these issues at like a hundred different directions. Like people can start Absolutely. like becoming like more like self-empowered and like hopefully can work through themselves and like hopefully that reverberates like you were talking about. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, well, you know, even uh, I can't be back for ceremony. Right. And so we're doing a, um, I can't go back to Oklahoma for ceremony for oh, this yeah. summer. Yeah. And so we're doing, um, we're not going to do it online, but, <laughs> but that's another option. A lot of people are doing ceremonies online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are connecting that way and they're finding new ways, but we're going to actually do a ceremony here on this territory, uh, kind of with permission from some of the, the people of this territory um, that will approximate and be kind of like a small smaller version of this, the green corn ceremony. And so those kinds of things have helped keep me grounded and I hope they help other people as well. So we're bringing family to that, um, to support. So yeah, it's, it's, um, I think there's multiple ways to, uh, to kind of connect and find, find ways through this, this really what has become a crisis Mm -hmm. of mental health. And uh, I think that's, that's kind of our, I think our challenge is to find ways through it. Um, and ultimately that notion of Gadugi, right? So don't let, like you, you found that, that note from that comedian, you had that responsibility, that, that notion of Gadugi, you weren't going to let that person suffer alone, mm-hmm. right? You were, you weren't going to be a bystander. You actually had to jump in and, and do something to help that person. And that's, that's the spirit we all need really is to check in on people, call people. I I've been, you know, even, you know, zooming people. <laughs> that sounds offensive. Yeah. Doesn't it? Zooming people. <laughs> uh, it's not a good verb, Yeah. Uh, but absolutely finding ways to, to assist people, but also to, to check in those little things make a big difference. I think they make yeah. a huge difference. Just having somebody be like, okay, like, uh, yeah, just having somebody know, like, oh, this person, like, was thinking about me, it makes you feel good, like, it, it, it is a really big thing, and like you were saying, that ceremony, um, community, like, these things do really help, and, like, we have kind of, uh, like, gone away from that in our, uh, 
in our like society it's kind of interesting when we like uh, a, a good part of like progress is kind of sometimes breaking up like old communities that don't work or old kind of like power structures that don't work but sometimes that leaves us kind of like all now sitting in like a different place where we're not connected anymore where like we do have to find new connections and new uh new things and like um also like i one thing i've always loved about like uh like especially indigenous practices is like uh the importance of like rituals like you have ritual to like take you from different phases of life um and that's one thing like I, I, I think so, so kind of missing from our society. Like personally, like for me, like, like I never had any kind of ritual that was like, you're a man now or anything like that, you know, <laughs> right. but like I, I did like when I went down to the Amazon I, and I did like ayahuasca ceremonies with like the indigenous people down there. And it was very, very tough. And it was very, very like um, just eye opening for me. Um, but this like, I came out of it like going like I'm in a different phase of my life it, it really made me like process like parts of my childhood and like uh, also like kill off parts of my childhood like that the one oh, don't nice. need, you yeah. know that don't need yeah. to be there anymore and yeah. kind of grow into like a more of like uh, the kind of man that I want to be and like I, I feel like we don't have that kind of ritual at all like in our society anymore and I don't, I don't think high school does it for people, you know? No, I don't. I think it, high school makes it worse. <laughs> it's so <laughs> awkward. And, but yeah, I think you're right. Um, and I've always been interested in ayahuasca, what the impacts were. We'll have to talk about that sometime. Uh, but um, I think, you know, some people have called for a return of coming of age ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And so to really, even if you're living in urban spaces, sometimes you don't, as an indigenous person, you don't have access to, uh, those those ceremonial leaders or those those um, those elders, and so finding ways to, in a sense, reinvent those coming of age ceremonies can be another part of this, um, where you find your place, you can find your voice, and you're held up as a as a, I guess, as an adult. Cherokees, there's a there's another version of Cherokees that we're not adults until we hit fifty one. Uh-huh. So I'm a new adult, uh, <laughs> a relatively new adult. So I played on that for years, but I think it was because our life expectancies in the past were so short. And so, you know, if you hit 51, you're like, you know, you are truly an adult. <laughs> and that would, would that not count as elder or like where did elder uh, start? Or did it I have think, a starting point? Yeah, I don't know. I think the term elder comes kind of from a Christian theological perspective. And so um, now we have a lot of indigenous peoples that are claiming uh, different terms uh, like knowledge holder and things like that. But I still use the word elder because I think it's more about uh, it's not about being elderly. Uh, Mm -hmm. I use the, the biggie elder as being someone who's knowledgeable about our community ways and yeah, someone who has that, you can't proclaim yourself an elder. Usually it's proclaimed by other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone who has that knowledge around our ceremonies or our language or, you know, kind of our ways of being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And hey, we got to like, I, I love that a whole idea because uh, I do know like Western culture always like focuses on youth and young people kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> um, I know a lot of Eastern cultures, like where my parents come from, it's like, elder is the most important part of the family and it's like yeah. you, you have to talk to the elder before 
like you get permission to do kind of like certain things with your life, which, uh, yeah, like, and trust me, there's some downsides to that as well, but, (laughs) (laughs) but like, uh, like the one good thing about it, it like, it really keeps that family unit together. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. Like these are interesting uh, things. I love these kind of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a real value to it. Isn't there like in terms of having someone who's knowledgeable, who can, in a sense, an elder has to broker peace. Even if there's divisions in the family, an elder has that responsibility also to kind of take everything that's said in the meeting and encapsulate it. Like, so it's a lot of responsibility, Mm -hmm. but it's also, you know, for, for Cherokees, it's kind of like when you're too old to go on the war path anymore, to, when you're too old to, to go to war, uh, you, you hang back with the community and you have to have that valuable kind of position uh, or that responsibility of, of, of relating these stories and, and, and cultivating ultimately leadership. And that's what we need to do more of is cultivate that, that leadership among our youth. And yeah. And if they're if if we're not cultivating it, sometimes it gets um, gets lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I, I do want to let you uh, share a little bit about uh, some of your work. Uh, so, what do you mean by uh, sustainable self determination? Uh, yeah, it's um, so it's a it's a book project I'm working on, but I, I've been kind of grappling with this term for a while. So I put uh, so it's. In the long and the short of it is, uh, you know, self-determination is such an important part of our assertions as Indigenous peoples. And it's kind of all-encompassing. It's kind of all of the things that we have uh, obligations to protect and to fulfill mm-hmm. as Indigenous peoples. And so I put sustainable on uh, kind of in front of it to talk about it as ways that we perpetuate our communities um, the ways that we, um, in, in a sense, uh, we think about it as relationality, the ways that we relate to the world and how do we, how do we practice that, um, especially by sharing that knowledge and, and sharing that, um, that leadership with future generations. And so it's, it's kind of the, I'm, I'm no, I'm going to go off here too much, but, uh, it's kind of the ways that we honor and nurture those relationships that keep us healthy. And so it's that process. What does that process look like across generations? And, and I think as indigenous peoples, we've been sustainable for generations, right. Mm-hmm. You know, for Cherokees, 10,000 years or more. Mm-hmm. And so what does that look like um, when we talk about our communities and the, the what's holding us together? Really? Okay. It's really looking at what's holding us together. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. yeah, you kind of like go through like a lot of like different things about like food security and like climate yeah. change and like different kind of like, yeah, like so many different things that kind of encompass us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I've, I've done a bunch of interviews. I did about 26 or so interviews with Indigenous folks from around Turtle, from across Turtle Island. So some folks from Hawaii, some folks from uh, Blackfeet, you know, some folks from Cherokee Nation, just to get their concept of what sustainable practice looks like. And it's, yeah, so it's, it's fun. It's kind of a fun project, but it's also a challenging one. How do I encapsulate all of these different ideas and into a book? 
<laughs> no, I, I, I love that. And uh, yeah, no, I, I really do love that. And like, I think like uh, one uh, part of the thing is like with the land, like uh, you actually even look at like what is like the plants and stuff that are native to this land. Like what is this like land supposed to grow and stuff like that. And like you, sometimes yeah. you see a problem with like invasive species and that stuff as well, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, um, and I guess this is kind of, it really sums up society in some ways, like how do we encourage local plants, you know, plants that are uh, from this area to thrive. And so I think of camas or Quetlaw and, you know, camas right now, right around this time of year, you see them, they're kind of a purplish flower. And yeah, so yeah, they're yeah. coming up all over the place, but they used to be just waves of waves of, of camas. And so they've been decimated by about 95%. And so how do we, how do we bring those plants and part of the, that Gary ecosystem back up to, to healthy levels? Uh, and what do we do with the invasive species? You know, so in this case, you know, we can't, um, so we end up pulling a lot of the Scottish broom and things like that. But how can we turn those invasive species into something that, that are also useful for the, the landscape and for the environment? And so that's kind of our challenge, right? And I think of that, and if we look at that and broadly with humans, we, we're obviously not going to pull out all of the, <laughs> the non-Indigenous people out of this territory. How do, we, how do we find ways to create new partnerships? Uh, how do we create new um, forms of solidarity so that we can work together. Uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Create new like forms of solidarity. Uh, that's a beautiful way of saying that uh, on that note, I'll ask you the question of the podcast because this has been amazing. Um, so Jeff Corntassel, God, yay or nay. <laughs> and I've been, <laughs> I've been stalling on this question because uh, it's, it, it's almost like I need to put an asterisk next to it. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yes. Give, with, uh, yeah, yes. Give with, the asterisk. <laughs> I'll give the asterisk. Yes. With uh, provisions, <laughs> with contingencies. <laughs> um, we kind of, you know, in some ways we, so we have, uh, I mentioned earlier, we have Unetlatna, which is the creator or the apportioner, but uh, in a lot of our stories, even our, our kind of our creation story, uh, of how the earth was made, uh, the animals are taking part in the creation. So we have the water beetle actually bringing, uh, it, was, it was just a globe of, of basically water. And so the, the water beetle had to go down and dig the dirt up from the bottom of the ocean and bring it up to the surface. And so that's how we create these land masses. So uh, um, there is this, there are these beings like this Unitlana, uh, that gives us the clan laws and 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 those sorts of things, but there's all these other uh, spiritual entities that are that are so key to who we are as well. So it's almost like, yeah, we have a creator. Uh, it's not quite approximating God in a Western sense, and and we have all of the we're almost like polytheistic in some ways uh, mm-hmm. at times because we have. I mentioned those clans to you, like we have the. Uh, that relationship to wolf, we have that relationship to wild potato, <laughs> uh, we have that relationship to bird, um, even turtles. So turtles actually, because they can walk on land and go in the water, we think of turtles as transporting us to different worlds. So we, 
Cherokees will often say we're from four worlds back and it's the turtle that carries us through these different worlds. So, so yes, with an asterisk, uh, there, there, I think there is, uh, there is a Unetlana, there's a creator, but there's also, uh, these other spiritual beings that are, that are vital to who we are as well. So maybe that's a, that's the best I can do. It's kind of, it's uh, not to make it too murky. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I love that. That is uh, that was just well, well said. Um, all right, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, please let uh, my audience know anything you want to like promote or tell them where they can get a hold of you or anything. Just uh, let them know now, please. Oh, what a, what a Nora. Thank you so much for having me. I think, um, yeah, if people have questions. They can email me. Maybe uh, we can put that online or something to see Tassel. C-T-A-S-S-E-L at uvic.ca. Feel free to email me any questions. And every once in a while, we run those comedy workshops. So if anyone wants to be a part of that, feel free to reach out. And uh, we're trying, my goal is to build an army of indigenous comedians. And so (laughs) so that's kind of what we try to do is is really encourage indigenous folks because we know they're damn funny. And they're, they're way funnier than I am. And so we know they're, we know they're out there. So we want to really cultivate that and bring their voices up to the front. Um, so that's, that's kind of the purpose behind our laughters medicine workshops, but otherwise, yeah. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. And I always like talking about Cherokee uh, uh, culture and spirituality. So it's, it's an honor. Oh, thank you. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NoorKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, NoorKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up. And all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often. Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay! Warning.